Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. I decided that tonight I was going to be very brief when it came to talking about Donald Trump and our national politics. I wrote in my blog this morning I would open with one Trump-type topic, and that would be it. Uh, however, I picked up two more during the day that are political, not necessarily Trump, that I want to express first. But I've become sick and tired about talking about Trump. All I do is hear about him, read about him, see on television about him for the last several months. And then it, it gets into my show, so now my shows have been basically complete Donald Trump. And as political as I am, I'm fed up with Donald Trump the news of Donald Trump and Donald Trump himself. So tonight I'm going to go back to the old times a bit. I'm going to run around the world. I'm going to talk about humorous things, sensitive things, uh, and we'll see how it plays out. I think you will enjoy. But let me start first with the three political items. Jared Kushner, he testified yesterday not under oath. Uh, I believe he testified today under oath. I would not believe him, his father-in-law, his brother-in-law, and his wife on a stack of Bibles. I believe they are all liars. It is the nature of the beast, okay? These people live differently than most of us. They are not only in the 1%, they are in the top 1% of the 1%. Uh, They believe they're omnipotent. They believe they can do no wrong. Because they have so money, the world owes them everything. That's something, everything. And they're accustomed to lying because it's the nature of the beast. They do whatever they want, right or wrong. So as well as some senators are saying that Jared came over this well, he looks so sincere, so honest, uh, I think we're going to find in due course that the man's a liar and the whole family's a liar. This sounds strong, but I honestly believe it. Uh, our country's at stake, my friends, our democracy's at stake, uh, how our kids are going to live and how our grandchildren are going to live is at stake. Uh, it's that bad. Uh, and I believe in the end, everything is going to be about money. Forget who was in this room, that room. It's going to be money laundering. We'll see. Now, the Democrats, my party, and I love them dearly, uh, if, you, if you caught it yesterday, uh, Schumer and Pelosi and several uh, prominent Democrats were on television, and they announced, and I quote, a better deal for American workers, unquote, quote, unquote, a better deal for American workers. This is a new slogan that's going to carry them through 2018 and 2020, and it's like, uh, you know, we're going to build America again or America first all the the slogans that Trump had. Well, the slogan sucks. You know, when they say better deal, it takes me back to Roosevelt. And that's one of the problems my party has. They are too much into the past. These people are 1980s talk, 1980s thinking. We have to have, and I say this respectfully, new leaders. Pelosi has been fantastic as a speaker and minority leader. This woman has been one of the best speakers, forget sex, has nothing to do with one of the best speakers we ever had. She knows how to control the agenda. She knows how to get things done. Uh, but 
you know, they're on her ass. They've been on her ass for the last several years. It's Pelosi's fault for this. It's Pelosi's fault for that. Uh, and she's from San Francisco, and you know they're all gay out there in San Francisco. And then we have Schumer. Uh, he comes lately to the number one spot, though it's a minority position. I feel sorry for him because he's achieved the numero uno position in the party in the Senate, but it's time for him to go, too. Uh, he's New York City. He doesn't fly, you know, in Wisconsin, in Kansas, in Alabama, in Missouri. Uh, we need a new leader there, too. We need younger people, 45 to 55, leading the, the party. This does not mean I want Pelosi and Schumer to get the hell out of politics. They've got to stay where they are, except not be number one. You know, they can take over chairmanship of a very important committee like Ways and Means or something like that again. Uh, because if they don't, we're not going to make it through 2018 and 2020 successfully. We need to have a couple of new faces, bright young faces, uh, because that's the way it is. Look, all over the world this is happening. In Europe, Canada, they want young leaders. And they want bright young people leading them. Uh, it's a transition. It's a transition that's occurring, and it's occurring dramatically and swiftly. And my third item of politics, John McCain, hero of heroes. I, I no one, no one could say anything less than in our lifetime, probably the greatest hero. Here's a man who spent six months in a Vietnam prison. He could have gotten out. But he says, no, I won't go unless my men and my fellow prisoners go with me. And they, he stayed, and they tortured the hell out of this guy. Uh, now he's got a brain cancer, and I feel sorry for him. And I watched him on television today. Uh, how do I fit him into this discussion? I'm going to say a negative. I'm not trying to demean the man. You can't demean a man of his stature, though it may sound like it. I wish to make a point. Stay with me. He has brain cancer. What could be worse? Uh, now, he has insurance. <laughs> he has insurance. He has the best that Obamacare can provide. Uh, and his operations that are going to be very uh, expensive, his medical care, his doctors, uh, going to be in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's all taken care of. He does not worry. If he's going to have an opportunity to survive, it's going to be because he has great health insurance. It's the only way. Well, what about that $32 million that will not have insurance if some form of Obama, uh, not Obamacare, oh, forgive me, Lord, uh, of Trump care or the new affordable health care gets passed, all right? Uh, they won't have insurance. And some of them, will have brain cancer, some will have other cancers, some will have other very serious type illnesses, but if they do not have insurance, they will not have the opportunity to survive. They will not have the chance to live, and they will definitely die. Now, this doesn't seem fair to me, okay? And why McCain votes. I can see what he did. He came back to vote today. Let's discuss the item on the floor. But I'm disappointed. This was the time, i got to say this, for one of the biggest Republicans in the country to stand up and say, uh, you know, I, something's happened to me in the last week. I now have brain cancer, and I realize 
there are others that are going to have it. Unless they have insurance like I do, they have no chance to survive. Didn't do it. I'm disappointed. I'm not knocking him again. But it also is a perfect example of what happens to other people. And it's, it could, could be in a few, a couple of million. Okay, now we're done with politics. How's that? Isn't that terrific? We're going to go to some interesting stories now. Uh, nothing heavy. Everything light. I believe everything cheerful. I'm not sure, though. I, 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 I'd have to get through my further notes there. West Virginia. Two brothers. This, everything I'm going to talk about tonight, by the way, happened in the last few days. West Virginia, two brothers, five years old and two years old. Uh, the five-year-old had watched his mother drive the car, and he knew she kept the keys under the floor mat. So uh, he went to the car, went to the floor mat, lifted it up, got the keys, and knew how to put it in the ignition, five years old. Got his two-year-old brother and put him in the passenger seat. This is in Putnam County, West Virginia, okay? It's a 2005 Ford Focus. And what happened is this. They decide, the five-year-old decides, we're going to go to Grandma's, who lives five, I'm sorry, seven miles down the road, seven miles down the road. Fortunately, it wasn't a heavily traveled road. They made it for three miles. What was happening is the five-year-old technically was the driver, but most of the time he was bent down under the seat and he was operating the gas pedal and the brake pedal. The two-year-old's kneeling on the seat staring, and these two kids made it uh, three miles before they went off the road into an embankment. God bless them. Uh, They didn't get hurt, okay? They did not get hurt. Uh, the sad part of this story is, and the mother should be shot probably, it took the police an, uh, an hour to find the mother. No one knew where she was. Uh, and I still don't know because the news hasn't picked it up. But it took them an hour to find her. She wasn't at home. And she thought during all this time her children okay, were playing in the front yard. Now this reminds me of another story. Twelve years ago, I started writing a weekly column for a local newspaper called Conk Life. I do about 800, 1,000 words on whatever turned me on. And I, I, I wrote about, I wasn't heavy into politics mentally at the time, and I used to write about interesting things and try to show the legal aspect of them. Turned out, my first column concerned a woman who had her ex-husband in the car with her, and she was driving down US-1 towards Key West because she had a date with her boyfriend. Again, understand that her ex-husband's with her. And while she's driving, she's shaving her vagina in preparation for the date with her boyfriend. She's working the pedals with her feet, and her former husband is steering. Well, it was inevitable. There had to be an accident. There was an accident. Uh, She was arrested, uh, and he was arrested for improper driving, various sections of the law violated. What I found interesting and shared with the people also was this. In the United States, sex while driving an automobile, uh, sex in any form, close, not close, peripheral of sex, is a violation. It could be a crime. In Europe, generally, it is not. Definitely in Germany and Russia, it's not a crime, it's not a traffic violation to have sex, have the woman sitting on your lap while the man's driving. 
Uh, and uh, there's an accident. Someone's hurt because of the way they were driving. And people in another car are hurt. No charges. And the reason is the way we interpret law in the two countries. In our country, we think we protect first the rights of society. That's why if you do something wrong in the operation of your vehicle and you hurt someone, we're protecting the people that are out there that, that you could hit, people in general. Whereas in Germany and Russia, they believe the rights of the individual are more important than the rights of society. So... No crime to have sex while you're driving, getting orally copulated in Germany and Russia while you're driving, and an accident occurs. So if you want to have sex and drive, or you want to shave your personal parts while driving, you better go to Germany or Russia. Moving on. Some people are absolutely brilliant in this world. Uh, People in the drug business, some of them make a lot of money. I'm talking illegal drugs. Drug dealers, uh, you know, they're in the business of supply and demand, just like so- someone who sells refrigerators or something. Uh, if there's a big demand and a short supply, they make a lot of money. Well, we have a cocaine dealer, and he is at Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and he finds that someone stole, he sells cocaine, by the way, someone stole cocaine from his car. What's he to do? Well, what do you do when someone steals from you? You call 911 and ask the operator to send the police. <laughs> he did. His name's David Blackman. He's 32 years old. He's a drug dealer in Fort Walton. He had a bag of cocaine stolen from his car, called 911. When they came, he told the police, somebody stole my cocaine. He must have, he must have been on it or something else. He had to be high. And uh, they also found a quarter of an ounce of cocaine in a plastic bag in the car and a $50 a crack pipe. So they arrested him for possession of cocaine in the crack pipe. But isn't that absolutely stupid? Call a drug dealer calling the police because a bag of cocaine was stolen from his car. This is an even better story. I like this one very much because sometimes we get... I'm going to be a little gross. We get pissed on. And sometimes we should piss on people in return. This isn't that horrible, but it's that trend of thought. We are in England, okay? Uh, no, 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 no. That's not the story I'm going to. Yeah, we're in England. That's the story. We're in England at uh, Exeter, England, at a, boy, at a school, boys and girls. And it was very hot. The summer is very hot all over the world, apparently. And the boys wear long pants. The girls wear skirts. And the boys went to the principal, and or the headmaster, whatever he's called. They said, it's very hot, sir. Uh, may we please wear shorts for a few days? And the principal, headmaster, he said, absolutely not. But being a smart-ass, the principal, and we've all run into them on occasion, a teacher or somebody that knew everything. But the principal said, if you want, wear skirts. Because they said the girls, you know, they're cool. They got the skirts. We got long pants. Well, what do you think the next day? It happened, yes, a big bunch of them came to school wearing sports, wearing skirts. The principal didn't know what the hell to do. He could do nothing because he told him to do it. One of them said, and I quote, it's quite refreshing in the heat to feel the wind blowing up my skirt. Then 
there's the story in England of a five-year-old girl who was a, who was fined by the police $195. What do you think she was doing? She was doing this, something little girls and boys have done in this country for years. I did it several times. You did it several times. And what's that? A lemonade stand. We're in, uh, her name is Andrea Spire, and she's five years old, and she was at the Love Box Dance Festival someplace in England, and she had a homemade lemonade stand, and she was selling cups of lemonade. Well, four police officers came over, told this five, this is a five-year-old girl, told this five-year-old girl that uh, her lemonade stand infringed, that's the word, infringed on local business rights and at the point they wrote her a ticket that would cost her 195 dollars now her father's walking around okay and he shows up (coughs) excuse me uh while the police officers are berating his daughter she looks at her father starts crying and says and i quote i did a bad thing daddy I've done something wrong. Can you imagine this kid, the fear she had in her? She's telling her father, I did a bad thing, Daddy. I've done something wrong. And she's crying her eyes out because these four bully cops thought it was improper for her to have a lousy lemonade stand and find her $195. Well, it didn't take long for the local officials the next day to figure this wasn't right. The the, uh, police had overstepped their bounds, and the fine was canceled and the girl the police officers went to the girl and personally said we are sorry then i want to talk about a dog and a baby deer a fawn this is a cool story we're in port jefferson new york again these all happened in the last few days these events i'm sharing with you port jefferson new york that's long island sound i know port jefferson uh, I used to sail for about 15 years. Classmate of mine in law school, Elliot Samuelson, divorce lawyer in New York City, probably the biggest. Uh, he wrote the only book on New York divorce law, which was quoted by judges and appellate courts for years and probably still is. Uh, and he represented movie stars. He always impressed me. He represented this movie star, that movie star, and he used to tell me stories. Big time divorce lawyer. He bought a 44-foot Morgan, and we used to go sailing on it on Long Island Sound, and anywhere from a week to two weeks, sleep right on the boat. Uh, of course, he had the better room, and I had that little thing up front. I don't know. I'm not familiar with boats that much. I slept in that little cubbyhole space up front. Anyhow, uh, nice town, nice town. Well, walking the beach is a golden retriever. His name is Storm with his master, Golden Retriever Storm, with his master, his owner. And they see out in the ocean, at quite a distance, someone flailing, some type of animal flaying, drowning, doesn't know what to do. And what do you think Storm does? He takes off into the water. He swims out there, and it was a baby deer. He grabbed her by, it was a fawn. He grabbed her by the back of her neck. And he swam back into shore, laid her down on the beach, and then with his paw and his tongue, rubbed and petted her to calm her down. Isn't that cool? 
the only trouble is a bunch of other dogs showed up. The fawn got scared, and she went back in the water. She went farther out this time. However, by this time, also a organization of rescuers, for a formal organization of humans who did rescue work at the beaches were there, a man and woman. They swam out to the fawn that the dog had brought in easily. It took them quite a while to get a hold on the fawn. The the male, uh, something happened with his, 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 he blew his knee. He blew his knee, but they finally got the fawn in. The fawn's okay. It's in an animal shelter being cared for. The nice thing is, you know, dogs are our best friends. How can you beat this? A golden retriever storm sees what's another animal, swims out to it, grabs it by the back of his neck with his mouth, brings it to shore, and then licks and pets its body. We have all heard, I'm all over the place tonight, we have all, I'm loving this by the way, we have all heard that Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Well, I'm here to tell you, Nero didn't fiddle while Rome burned. Uh, When we see him portrayed in movies, you see him there in Rome. Watching the fire burning down the cities on this, and you know, right on the outskirts or something, and he's playing as a fiddle. And there's two reasons for it. This, by the way, occurred in 64 AD that Rome burned. Uh, number one, there was no fiddle in existence in 64 AD. It was hundreds of years later before the fiddle was even invented. Number two, historians have established that Nero was not in Rome that evening. He was 35 miles to the south at his uh, summer resort. Uh, So he didn't burn Rome. He wanted Rome destroyed, though, because he thought the city was too old and had to be restructured. And the, the fire... There were 14 districts that composed Rome. The the fire totally destroyed four of those districts. And he got a satisfaction because he rebuilt those four districts subsequently. He did take advantage of the fire, however. Nero was not a nice man. Note again that the year is 64 A.D. Christ died in 33 A.D. because Christ was 33 years old when he died. So it's, what, 33, 34 years, 30 years, 31 years after Christ died, to give you the proper time frame. Now, from the time Christ became popular, before he died, and then after he died, he became more popular. They considered Catholics, Christians, a cult, and they got bigger and bigger. And the Romans feared, they feared these Christians, these Catholics, this new religious sect. Because prior thereto, whoever was emperor, Nero, Caesar, they were considered gods. They were viewed as gods. And now some people, the Christians, the Catholics, were saying, our emperor is not a god. He's a, he's a man, he's a person, he's our ruler, but he's not God. God is Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. He didn't like this. You know, he didn't like this because he sounds like, by the way, he's going to, he sounds like Trump, I think, no. He, he, he felt that it would demean his position, minimize his position as emperor. So what he did, he used the fire uh, as an excuse to kill Christians. He blamed them for the fire. He made it up. They had nothing to do with the fire. It was probably, uh, you know, an oil lamp or something that tipped over. 
but he blamed it on the Christians. He arrested them. He tortured them. He had them eaten by the animals in the Colosseum, and he killed, killed hundreds of Christians using the fire as an excuse. He, you know, there's a saying, never waste a crisis. Well, Nero didn't, sad and sick, but he didn't wait. He did uh, not waste this crisis. Last week, the last item I talked about uh, was a, a an immigration that has begun uh, into Europe out of Central Africa and is going to get stronger over the next five years. And it is felt that this immigration from Central Africa, and these are Muslims, by the way, also, uh, is going to be greater greater than that which came out of Syria. So it's going to be a bigger problem. And here's what's going on. Again, over the next five years, uh, every year, every day, they're going to increase in numbers. They want to get out of there. There's famine, there's wars, and all this kind of stuff going on. We don't hear about it. It's not the Middle East, but it's just as bad, if not worse. It's, a again, a migration crisis. Uh, and it's feared that these Muslims, these are blacks, blacks leaving, are going to flood Italy, France, both of whom already have problems uh, in this regard. And it's going to be, it's been referred to, what's coming is an exodus of biblical proportions. An exodus, an exodus rather, I'm sorry, of biblical proportions. And it's impossible to stop because these people got to get the hell out of there. And I'm talking primarily Somalia, Sudan, and Libya. And they're leaving again because the population of more and more people there, population growth, climate change, wars. They've, Al-Qaeda is supposed to be destroyed. It's gone. Al-Qaeda isn't gone. We hear about it every now and then, maybe in Syria or Afghanistan, but they're gone. They're big time in Africa. They've been regurgitated. They are big time in Africa, in Central Africa, as ISIS is. And there's a famine besides. So they're... The people have lost hope. They've got to get out of there. And to get to get to Europe, understand the, the trip they must make. It makes the trip that the Syrians did look like kid stuff. They have to go through the Sahara Desert, and then they have to cross the Mediterranean. And as horrible as the Sahara might be, as we think about it, it's the Mediterranean that is the worst part of the trip. Uh, so it's expected that millions are going to do this over the next five years. Italy already this year has received from those three countries 85,000 refugees. Italy, who, who is number two on the poorest of European countries, Greece is only four, now have 85,000 this year alone so far. Uh, I recall several years ago I was in northern Italy, uh, several times visiting my friend Anna that I talk about occasionally. And there were a huge number of blacks at the time, and she she, she got very upset. She says, look, they're taking over everything. They're from Africa. And they were all over the place. It looked like there were more blacks in Milan and Navarra than there were white people. Uh, now, again, it's going to make the Syrian exodus look tiny in comparison. Two days ago, just two days ago, it was reported that the Euro Union got involved in this thing. They've been involved, but more so on, on, a, on a, an understandable basis. 
they have limited the sale of inflatable boats and outboard motors to Libyans. In other words, we don't want you buying inflatable boats and outboard motors and using them to cross the Mediterranean to Europe. Okay? This is part of what they're doing to stop the flow of migrants across the Mediterranean. I'm going to talk to you about wedding cookies now. Wedding cookies. Big time. Uh, this was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently. Uh, front page. Cookies are replacing wedding cakes. Wedding cookies are replacing wedding cakes. It's the big business now. There are specialists all over the world in every section of the country who make wedding cookies. You, you buy them through the mail now for the wedding. Uh, you set up tables, fancy tables, fill them with cookies. Some still have a cake. Many do not. And you also provide the fancy bags to take the cookies home. You've got to have a lot of cookies, and they must be properly arranged. Youngstown, Ohio, a couple of weeks ago, 500 guests at a wedding, 18,000 cookies, 150 varieties on nine banquet tables. Would you believe it? Well, that's my show for this week. I hope you enjoyed the lighter stuff a little bit. I enjoyed sharing it with you. Uh, I'll probably get heavy with Trump again next week. Uh, Have a good week. Come back again to listen and hear me next week. Thank you and good night.